This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and it's time for your weekly wrap-up. Happy Eclipse Day if you are in the United States. Uh, where I am, I'm going to see about 68% of the sun covered up. I may send my drone up to see if I can get a good look at uh, the light changes over a 20-minute span of time, the length that its battery will last. If I'm successful, I'll post that up on the Extras channel. If I'm not, I won't post anything. But I'd love to see what you came up with if you are in the path of the eclipse today. So let us know down in the comments. I do want to begin, though, as we always do, by thanking our newest Patreon supporters. We have Matthew Stevenson, Brandon Hunter, Doug Stewart, Robert Roberts. I'm probably going to mess this name up, Reginald Ukebu. And we also had two folks who uh, reached gold level status for next month. Chris Allegretta is re-upping, and Charlie Walden, who doesn't live far from me here, also went to gold level. And I want to thank everyone who contributes to the channel on a regular basis, as well as everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because all of those things together equal channel growth. And we have a returning advertiser on the wrap-up this week. I want to thank the folks from iRoller for coming back again. This is a very compact and liquid-free screen cleaner, and it works much better better than I expected it to work when they sent it into the show for me to take a look at. Take a look and see for yourself. So here we've got a a phone that looks like it's had a rough day here, a lot of grease and junk on the screen. And we're going to take out our eye roller here. Again, it's liquid free. You get a nice protector on here. And what that protector does is covers up a sticky roller here. And all you have to do is just run it back and forth on your screen a, a pass or two and you are good to go. Take a look at that. It's got a nice definitive border here between the clean area and the dirty area and it's really quick at getting your devices cleaned up especially if you're using these things for presentations or something like that Uh, really easy to use and uh, when you need to clean it which is not often all you have to do is run some warm soapy water on it and let it dry out and then it's recharged and ready to go again Just put the cover back on it, throw it back in your bag, and you've always got a clean screen wherever you go. Uh, Again, I was really surprised by how well this works. And one of the things I've been doing with it is getting all of my my screens cleaned in the house. I've got some pretty nasty screens, especially on my laptops. I just don't clean them all that often. And what I've been doing is running the eye roller back and forth on them, getting all the surface stuff picked up. And then I'm going to town on the little areas where stuff is caked on and then running the eye roller over it again. And that's giving me screens that will always be cleaned and I can use the eye roller as a maintenance device from here on out. So that's the eye roller. They have a version for uh, eyeglasses also called eyeglass clean. It's a little smaller, but uh, might be better suited for keeping your lenses clean if you're always getting those gunked up too. Works exactly the same way. A little warm soap and water will keep that refreshed and working all the time. And I do want to thank the eye roller folks for supporting the show and I hope you will as well. So this week on the Extras channel, I unboxed a bunch of stuff that I actually reviewed on the main channel shortly thereafter. That doesn't always happen because I get tied up with stuff, but uh, this week I was able to review everything I unboxed for you there. I also have some sample footage posted of the Avermedia Extreme Cap UVC, which is something I reviewed on the main channel a couple of days ago. This is a video capture device, and it works like a webcam. So what you do is plug HDMI devices into that HDMI port. There's a USB Type-C port on the other side. 
Live, and then anything that uses a webcam will work with that HDMI device. It could be a GoPro, a camcorder, a game console, whatever you plug into it uh, carries over and it brings it over uncompressed. And the price on it is about $250, which uh, seems pricey up front, but there are other similar devices out there like the Magwell that I've covered in the past that cost more. So I thought it was a pretty good deal. Had some glitches though with the video capture, which you can see in the review. Uh, so I'm going to see if there's any updates to the firmware or something down the road. But overall, I was pretty comfortable recommending it as a decent product. We also took a look at the Lenovo Idea Center 520S. And this is an all-in-one PC. It's a 23-inch all-in-one that's not much larger than what a monitor might be. It was really pretty cool. They packed an i7 uh, computer into such a small form factor. So if you're really uh, space-constrained, it's really useful for those folks. And it also works as a regular monitor. So the HDMI port uh, is an input and an output. So you can plug a game console in, use it as a monitor, or uh, run an, another monitor to it and have that HDMI work as an output. Pretty flexible stuff from Lenovo. You can see that full review link down below. And we also got a look at the Samsung T5 SSD. This is a, a brand new solid state drive from Samsung, portable, of course. It works like any USB external hard drive would. Uh, this one is the first drive that I have tested with a new uh, three-dimensional NAND flash technology. So what's happening now in the flash world is that rather than building uh, denser and denser chips, they're going to be making multi-layered chips to allow more storage density in small form factors like this. So there's like a little mini skyscraper inside uh, for all of its storage cells. And a bunch of other manufacturers are doing the same thing. What does it mean for you? Not much, actually. At least in this iteration, it seems to perform about where last year's drive performed, a little faster on sequential read operations, but everything else uh, was about the same. But one of the things I like about the Samsung drives over some of the others that I have tested is that the random read and write performance on these is pretty quick, and actually the quickest that I've tested on some of these portable USB SSDs, and you certainly can't beat the ruggedness of these things either. So I'm really uh, quite pleased with it. It's a good uh, iteration of their current technology, but no faster, at least in my testing, than the other drives we've looked at. Now, one viewer suggested that my use of the Blackmagic speed test in these reviews is not the most accurate way to measure sequential read and write performance, but I really think it is. And the reason is, is that that test is very unforgiving. It really replicates what it might be like to write video to a drive if you were out capturing footage or recording it live from a camera or something because video doesn't let up. It's not a burst. It's not some spurt of data. It is a constant flow of data. And the more resolution you got, the more uh, the drive is going to be uh, needing to keep up with. And one of the things that test does is that it very accurately shows you uh, what happens when you fill the cache up on the drive. So if you take this one, for example, when we ran that test initially, had a nice big burst of speed when we first started running that test. I think it was getting like 450 megabytes per second or more. Uh, and the initial run of that test. When it came back around for its second iteration, those speeds dropped off very quickly because the first run was cache-assisted. The second run was really more uh, the raw write performance that you can expect out of this drive, especially if you're capturing video. And there are some great tests out there, but they don't, they don't work in the same way. They don't really replicate that effect of writing video to the drive. If I was copying over a 30-gig file or something, maybe we would see slightly faster speeds. But for constant sequential read and write performance, that's a true stress test in my estimation, which is why I use it. I also use the Crystal Disk Mark test on all the drives because that's what uh, most people are running for their benchmarks. But I do want to check out this QuickBench because if I can do it all on the Mac and if it results in its methodology is close to what 
uh, Crystal Disk Mark does. It'll be a, a great way to maybe speed up my workflow and uh, compare it to other drives. The problem is if their methodology on random reads and writes is different than what Crystal Disk Mark does, I'll have to go back through and test all of my other drives again to make sure that we have a fair comparison. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. This is week 24 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And one of the frustrations that I've had running this YouTube channel even before I was full-time was that uh, people are often taking my content, maybe scraping my channel and a bunch of others, and re-uploading those videos to a new channel where uh, they would attempt to monetize it. Now, of course, YouTube has changed their monetization policy, so you have to get 10,000 aggregate views and then get uh, reviewed by YouTube staff before they let money uh, come your way. But what a lot of these folks do is they upload the video and then uh, they grab an affiliate link from Amazon and they're making money off of my hard work, which drives me nuts. And I've been uh, relying upon many of you to let me know when that happens here. So Warren McClure was somebody just recently who found one of my videos re-uploaded and I was able to very quickly take it down. And I just wanted to put this reminder out there again, and I often do this every few months just to uh, let you all know that if you do see my videos somewhere other than this channel, uh, do let me know. You can leave a comment and email, whatever way you want to get it to me. Uh, just let me know where that video is and I'll take the steps to remove it because this does eat into my revenue and it does create confusion in the YouTube marketplace if people start subscribing to channels that they think are mine but are not. That's why I got that little check mark uh, next to my channel name now. I'm verified, so hopefully that will help a little bit. Uh, but this is really an ongoing issue. I've asked YouTube repeatedly to allow me to have access to content ID, which is what all the larger channels have access to to very quickly automate this process, but I keep getting denied access to it for whatever reason. And there are channels smaller than mine that have access to it, but for whatever reason, they don't think I need it, but I really do because this is a, an ongoing problem and it takes a lot of my time to have to fill out the DMCA takedown forms every time somebody grabs my content. But please do keep sending these in to me because the only way I find out about it is when you all tell me about it. So I just want to thank you all and keep up the watch because it's important that we keep the videos on this channel only. And back in July, I got one of those 23andMe tests during the Amazon Prime Day sale. They knocked about $100 off their uh, top tier test. So I figured, hey, why not? Let me try this out and see what I can learn about my genetic makeup. So what happens is they send you a box with a little test tube in it you spit into the tube up to this little line there. It's kind of hard to do. Uh, you put it back together, you mail it back to them, and then about a month or so later, you get a, a full workup of your genetic structure, more or less, and you can look at your ancestry. You can find other people that are on the service that you might be related to. Kind of neat, actually, what you get back, especially if you're not sure where uh, your family origins are from. Uh, the nice thing for me is that it didn't really tell me anything I didn't already know, so that was great. Uh, but I was a little disappointed with the amount of information that they provide. So it gives you ancestry. It does provide some uh, basic stuff, but some of the information wasn't all that intriguing to me. So, for example, they can tell you your uh, ancestry to the Neanderthals back in the uh, pre-human days. So I'm, I'm not too uh, related to the Neanderthals there, so that was good to know. Uh, <laughs> this crazy thing about muscle composition that says that I have a muscle composition common to elite power athletes, yet I lack any kind of coordination to be a power athlete, but that was good to know, I guess. And then it told me a bunch of other crazy stuff here, like my ability to detect asparagus odor in my urine, uh, the bitter taste genes, just some random stuff that really didn't mean all that much to me. And I think what happened here is that the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA here in the U.S., uh, kind of cracked down on 23andMe, providing you more detail as to your particular health might be, because they don't have uh, yet all of the, the research kind of locked in and determined for all the different conditions that somebody might have. And I think they, uh, the FDA was not comfortable with 
uh, 23 and Me continuing to do that for people. So what they've done now as an alternative is they allow you to download your raw data. They measure a whole bunch of different genes and uh, they give you the ability just to download all of that and take it wherever you want. And I found this website uh, called Promethase and uh, for about five bucks what they'll do is link you up with something called the SNP SNPedia, uh, which measures all of these SNPs that uh, determine some of these traits that you might have that could result in some kind of health issues. And you got to be careful with this because it'll tell you that, yes, you're going to get cancer in one area and then tell you that you're protected against that cancer in another. So you really do need to do your own research and understand what you're looking at uh, before you dive too deep into this thing or get too freaked out over something. But it might give you some stuff to uh, bring up with your doctor, perhaps, as you're going through this data. But it was nice to see that they do give you access to that raw data, and there are places that you can go to look further into it. And like anything out there in the world these days, there is a huge community around all of this genetic stuff, which I hadn't discovered before. And I spent a good part of the weekend just kind of exploring this community I hadn't found before of people that are uh, really interested in this field and uh, starting to look at some of this research and comparing it now to their own genetic makeup that they're getting from 23andMe and other services. That was really fascinating to me. In fact, more fascinating than the 23andMe service itself. So if you have taken that test, uh, check out Promethase here. There might be some other uh, websites that you found that might be of interest as well. So do let me know down in the comments below if there are other places I should go to try to figure out what I'm made of. And now it's time for a couple of things that are in the news. And a bunch of you wrote in this morning about uh, the announcement of Intel's eighth generation CPUs. They're looking at adding a 40% performance boost on their laptop chips. And most of the laptops that we review here on the channel, those mid-range ones with the i5 or the i7 processor, uh, those typically have a dual-core processor. We've been seeing nice incremental gains in performance over the last couple of years on those, especially on their graphics performance. It looks like for next year, those dual-core chips will now be quad-core, and that should provide a pretty big boost in performance, especially for multi-threaded applications that are uh, able to utilize all those cores efficiently. And this is going to be a big jump in performance for Ultrabooks in particular. We have, of course, seen quad-core laptops in this current generation, but those are mostly gaming laptops or more expensive laptops that consume more power. Uh, this will give you the uh, quad-core performance on a low-power-consuming device, which I think is a pretty big jump. I can't wait to test these out, and we should be getting some of those in probably uh, towards the end of the year as those computers are announced and they start finding their way to us here on the channel. Now, Google and Apple have a very complicated relationship, as you all probably know by now, and they compete very heavily and aggressively in some areas, especially when it comes to mobile phones. But Google is also hedging its bets with Apple because they're paying Apple $3 billion just this year to remain as the default search engine on iOS devices. They've paid out billions before that to maintain that position as well. Those licensing payments make up a big chunk of Apple's services revenues because they're not going to make as much, of course, off of iCloud given all the infrastructure they have to support. So this is almost like pure profit to Apple just to keep that uh, URL defaulted on the iOS platform. Uh, what was really intriguing to me, though, is why they're paying this much, and that is because Apple's devices contribute about 50% to Google's mobile search revenue, which is crazy when you consider uh, just how much larger the Android market share is versus iOS, but they're making a lot more money off of these devices than they are off of their own, which is why they continue to pay the money. And the reason why they pay is because 
Uh, Google doesn't want Microsoft to come in and offer a couple billion dollars itself to knock them off of that position. It's called the tyranny of the default, and sometimes you've got to pay to be the default provider, which is what's happening here. But I just thought this was intriguing, just given how heavily and how aggressively they compete against each other in some areas, there are places where they really do depend on each other. And now it's time for some Q&A from you, the viewers, and we're going to start off first with what Cantankerous Dave refers to as the Plex kerfuffle. And this was an issue regarding changes to the Plex privacy policy that were made over the weekend that uh, got the community pretty upset. And they have made some changes since this announcement now, which I'll talk about as well, so we can figure out all the intricacies of what took place. Now, I do want to mention up front that Plex is a sponsor here on the channel. We do a lot of content about Plex, but like everything that I look at here, uh, I approach things, I think, objectively. Hopefully, you agree that I do as well, and I'll do my best to give you an objective look as to what happened here. So let's back up and see what happened Friday night. So Friday night, uh, you and I and everybody else in the Plex ecosystem, about 14 million people or so, uh, got this email about changes to their privacy policy. And uh, one of the things that's important to note with Plex is that it is a, a growing application. Now, if you don't know what Plex is, it's a really at its heart a media serving application. It was developed by a group of very passionate people who wanted ways to more flexibly consume the media that they had under their control. And the way it works is you can store media on your uh, own server and serve it to yourself or with your friends, and it can actually transcode the video uh, so you can watch it even when you're not at home. It can make the large videos you might have stored smaller on the fly so you can play them back on a cell phone, for example, when you are out and about. Really cool stuff, and at its core, it really was designed to allow you to serve your own media to yourself and to a small collection of friends. That was kind of the starting point for what it is, but it's evolving as an application. It's bringing on uh, third-party uh, sources of media now, of course. It's also bringing in uh, the ability to do live TV watching and DVR, so it's really evolved over the last couple of years as an application, and it's often hard to have something that was developed by a community become a product because you've got to get lawyers involved and everything else. And what they decided to do was make some changes to their privacy policy to adjust for where uh, Plex is headed as a company. And one of those changes did not go over well with the community, uh, which is what you see here in blue. So what they uh, were initially going to do was uh, not allow you to opt out of statistics collection for the media that you're playing back on your Plex server, even the stuff that you have stored locally. Now, they were very clear to make a point that they were not uh, taking a look at what files you had stored, but they were going to look at the duration of the media, the codecs that were used for that media, uh, as well as perhaps file sizes and whatever other uh, information that might help them uh, determine what the source of a bug might be or maybe how people are using the software. And this certainly got people upset because for a lot of people who are storing their own media privately, they didn't think Plex should have access to that information. And to take something that they once gave you, in other words, the ability to opt out of certain data collection and then suddenly take that away, especially for people that were Plex Pass subscribers, uh, rubbed a lot of members of the community the wrong way. And I thought it was also a wrong choice for them to do that, uh, especially for someone that pays for a Plex Pass, especially somebody that paid for a lifetime Plex Pass, to have the uh, terms of how the software works change overnight, I thought was a pretty bad idea. And they have since made some changes. So that was Friday. And then on Saturday night, they offered some changes to what they initially suggested based on the community feedback, which I think are actually good changes. So the first thing is they will allow you now to opt out of playback data collection of your personal media. So before, where they were not going to allow opting out 
Uh, now they are for your personal media playback and other media activities with the files that you have stored on your personal Plex server. So that was a good change right out of the gate. The second thing they're going to do is that if you're not opting out, uh, they are going to do their best to generalize the collected playback data of the files that you are playing back. So they're going to round off the duration and the bit rate, probably round off some other things as well so that you can't identify a file based on its metadata. Because one of the things that users pointed out when this was initially announced was that if you've got the bit rate, the file size, and the duration, you might be able to discern what that file is from that collection of information. So they're going to find ways to generalize and round off that data so that it's not identifiable based on the metadata. The third option they're going to be adding to the privacy policy is a new tab that will be in your server settings after this policy is instituted. And what it's going to do is provide a list of all of the data that your Plex server is collecting and sending off to uh, the Plex mothership. So you'll have an idea as to exactly what's going over to them. You'll also be able to verify that your opt-out is an opt-out and they're not able to see the things that you're uh, doing with your own personal media. So I think personally, and again, they are a sponsor, but I, I, I really was not comfortable with uh, the announcement when it was first made. I am much more comfortable with what they've suggested here, and I think they responded very quickly with, I think, a very measured uh, way of approaching this particular problem that they have. Because the software is evolving beyond just being a personal media server, that, of course, will make privacy policies all the more complicated. But I am curious as to what you all think about this situation. Let me know down below in the comments, and I'll also share some of your thoughts with the Plex team as well, because they are interested in hearing more feedback on this. Now, I wanted to move on to a lighter topic here, which is personal PC preference. And I had this funny comment here from I have seven sacks who uh, talks about the uh, all-in-one Lenovo PC I looked at the other day. And I review a lot of different types of computers on the channel. And one of the things that I've been noticing over the last four or five years or so is how different the PC market is because it's shrunk down quite considerably since all these phones and tablets have become more useful. And PC makers have been finding different form factors to try to meet different requirements of particular users. And that all-in-one is a great example of something that I think will appeal to a lot of people, but perhaps uh, not appeal to everyone who watches this channel. And I just was thinking about this the other day because I was also getting similar responses to the uh, GPD Pocket that I reviewed. Some people saw this thing and said, this is the best computer ever. And others said it was the absolute biggest piece of junk they'd ever seen in their lives. Who would want something like that? There was two diametric opposed views on this product, but this is really what the PC industry is right now. It is becoming very personalized and it's all about form factor. Uh, this particular computer is running with a Cherry Trail processor. Look at all the different ways you can get a Cherry Trail PC. You can get that little pocket thing, you can get the tablet, you can get the computer, you can get a mini PC, you can even get one that looks like a Nintendo DS with a built-in game controller. There is something for everyone out here right now and uh, GPD is one of the companies kind of on the fringe that is finding all of these uh, wacky designs and finding an audience for those designs too in them but we're also seeing mainstream manufacturers doing the same thing and I think that's what's so cool about the PC industry and why I'm having such a fun time reviewing PCs right now because they really are coming in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and it's fun to try to figure out uh, who might line up with that use case the best. This is one of those things that keeps me going here on the channel and I just thought that question was a, a great example of just an ongoing theme I've been seeing in the industry as well as with the customers who buy these things. Some people can see a 
absolute crystal clear use case for something and others have no clue why it exists. And that is what's so awesome about the personal computer industry. It's gotten a lot better. And Ryan Martinez is back again this week with another question that I just had to answer. And that is about Sonic Mania. Sonic Mania is a brand new Sonic the Hedgehog game that looks and feels and plays just like it did on that original Sega Genesis back there. It feels like maybe uh, if the Sega CD really took off and became a thing, it probably would have been on that platform. It really stays true to those hardware limitations, which I think makes the game all that much more delightful. They didn't try to go above and beyond. They didn't try to reinvent anything. They've added some subtle changes to the overall gameplay, but they really kept themselves uh, within the graphical limitations as well as perhaps what the computational limitations of those original consoles were. And it makes for a game that is really well executed, probably the best Sonic game since Sonic 3. And that is uh, saying quite a bit. The levels are huge and they're long. And that's my only issue with it is that I'm finding myself getting through uh, the end of the second half of one of these really long levels, dying and then losing all my lives and continuing from the very beginning of that level again. Uh, that is kind of the same thing that would happen back in the day, although you'd have to start from the beginning of the game uh, in those days. So I'm, uh, it's a little challenging for me at least, but I'm having a great time playing it. A great game on the Nintendo Switch. This is the kind of game that really does well on the Switch uh, because I can switch very quickly between uh, playing on my TV and playing handheld with it. And I am probably about halfway through the game at this point and really enjoying it. I'm finding I'm getting better at it the longer I play, getting some of the nuances of the levels down. Uh, and then I'm uh, making some progress. I made some good progress last night, and I'm hoping to maybe finish it up in the next week or two. I'm determined to get through the game, uh, but really well done. Great $20 uh, game that's out there on the App Store. And one of the things that uh, they did here is they hired a developer who really loves Sonic the Hedgehog. His name is Christian Whitehead. He's one of the uh, three members of the development team, but I think he was heading up the whole project. And he's the guy that uh, re-released all the games that you're seeing on your mobile platforms, Android, iOS, as well as some of the TV platforms. He basically rebuilt the originals in HD, and he did it so well you don't even notice that they've been rebuilt. They look and feel and play exactly as the originals did. And he was doing this just as a fan for a while. Sega noticed what he was up to, and rather than coming down with a you know, DMCA takedown letter, they hired him, and it was probably the best decision they could ever make because he's really uh, stayed true to the original franchise here with his uh, first effort of a standalone game, and it is outstanding. So definitely check it out if you're into Sonic the Hedgehog. 20 bucks, you can't beat the price. So Q&A for you time. I was curious if any of you have tried any of these DNA analysis services, and if you have, where else have you uh, sent your raw data to for further analysis? I'm very curious about this now. I want to do more with my data. Uh, so let me know down in the comments below what you have done with your DNA, and I'd love to get some new ideas for what I should be doing with mine. So let me know down in the comments below. Our channel of the week this week is one that I've enjoyed looking at. This is called Wendover Productions. I don't think I've mentioned this one before, but if I have, it's okay because it's really good. Uh, what Wendover Productions does is makes these uh, pretty short videos that uh, really dive into some areas of uh, transportation and economics and other complex topics, yet explains them uh, very well and very efficiently. I've really been enjoying the content they've been putting out. Just about every video they do, uh, you learn something from, and I can't recommend this one enough. So if you're into topics like economics, transportation, and all the other things that go into how the world works, uh, do check him out and uh, let me know what you think of that. So this week, I've got a couple of things planned. And as usual, whenever I've got some plans for the week, they get blown up by stuff that comes in that's really super cool that I want to get up ahead of time. So the first thing uh, happened just a few minutes ago. This arrived. Uh, this is a $689 computer from HP. It is a 15-inch laptop. It has a GTX 1050 built in 
and it has an IPS display. A very good price for what we've got uh, configured on there. So that one's going to be up very shortly. I'm just going to start playing with it tonight and hopefully in the next day or two get a review up of that. I'm also getting that wacky Game Boy attachment for Android phones from Hyperkin. I ordered one uh, the other day. It's coming in, I think, today or tomorrow. So uh, that will be on the horizon. And I still want to get to the two things I've been talking about for the last two and a half weeks, which is the uh, Raspberry Pi Zero as well as Parsec, which is a game streaming uh, application that I've been playing with. I've been working with the Parsec folks a little bit because I'm finding some latency issues, nothing significant, but more latency than they are expecting on some of the hardware that I've been playing with, and we're trying to figure out exactly what's causing it. And I think when we get to the bottom of that, it might actually help uh, people who are finding this application to improve their latency scores as they're uh, getting things set up. It's actually been a fun experiment for me, and I think for them as well. So I'm going to be having some conference calls with them just to try to figure out exactly what might be the cause of it. Nothing significant. I mean, I'm seeing like 72 milliseconds of latency from uh, the remote end when I hit the button on my game controller using the test that I usually do with the uh, high-speed camera. So we're just trying to figure out what is putting these little bits of latency into the mix along the way? And there are a lot of components that uh, sometimes add up in the process there. And I think part of it involves the low-end hardware that I am streaming to, uh, which is no doubt contributing to this as well. But they're curious as to what might be causing it. And I think we might be able to make some uh, better recommendations and a better video as a result as I'm playing with it. Parsec is free, so you can grab it anytime to uh, play with it yourself, but I do want to understand it a little better before I do my full video on it. But I have done a lot of prep for it already, including some experiments with retro game streaming from my house to another friend's house, and it seems to work pretty well, actually. I've been pretty happy with it, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you as well as uh, finding some time to start playing with the Raspberry Pi Zero. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash Patreon and make a monthly contribution to the channel. We also have my tip jar set up at lon.tv slash tip jar for a one-time contribution. If you want to give via PayPal, you can do so at lon at lon.tv, and that's a good option for international viewers. And of course, we have our ongoing relationship with Plex. You can sign up for a free Plex account at lon.tv slash Plex or gift a Plex pass to somebody at lon.tv slash Plex gift. And in the next day or two, I'm going to have a very special offer for viewers of this channel. You want to stay tuned for that. So it will be Plex related, and I think it might be uh, something of interest to a lot of you. So stay tuned. That'll be a standalone video coming up later in the week. And of course, we have many channels for you to follow here. We have the Extras channel at lon.tv slash extras for unboxings and supplementary content. We have my podcast feed where you can find an audio version of this show and all the interviews that I do at lon.tv slash podcast. The Snippets channel is where I upload search-friendly content. So basically, I take snippets of this and other videos that I do that are uh, part of longer videos and put them into shorter ones. So if you want to uh, see some bite-sized content that you've already seen before, you can subscribe over there. And of course, we have our live streams, including my attempt to cover the eclipse. It took all of five minutes, but it didn't uh, work the way I wanted it to. So I uh, ended it quickly and got back down here to finish up this video. But I did make myself a little pinhole camera, and I was trying to get my uh, phone here to record the output of that little pinhole camera. So I didn't see, it was funny because I was expecting it to get a lot darker here than it did. So it didn't look all that different outside and we had a lot of cloud covers. So I didn't get the effect of the eclipse I was hoping for. And I did try to take the drone up to cover the uh, change in light, but it was still a lot brighter than I expected. And then my gimbal on the drone got all out of whack while it was in flight. So uh, the whole day was just kind of shot on eclipse coverage, but I would love to see anything that you shot. And maybe we'll share some of those photos and videos next week 
uh, on this channel. This is quite a big day for us here in the United States to have an eclipse actually go throughout the entire continent. It's great to have a shared national experience. We don't get those too often, and that was a uh, fun one, even though not all of us got the best view. Uh, and then you, again, you can find all those live stream attempts at lon.tv slash live streams. Now, I do suggest if you want to get all the content delivered to you all the time to click that notification icon so that when we have something new that's uploaded or I go live, you will get a notification on your device of choice. And I also hope that you'll engage with me on my email list at lon.tv slash email. We have the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook and the store, which is at lon.tv slash store, where I resell the things that I bought to review here. And one of those things might end up being this laptop, depending on uh, whether or not I want to get rid of it when I'm done reviewing it. But that's the kind of thing that I usually resell through the store. And you can sign up for an alert on every time I update that store at lon.tv slash store alert. You'll get that alert via email whenever there is an update. And that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I had a really hard time shooting this one today for some reason. Just the words were not coming out of my mouth the way I was hoping they would come out. Uh, but hopefully it'll look fine in uh, the final version that you are watching right now. It's just Monday. It's one of those things. Sometimes even when you're self-employed, you get a case of the Mondays that hit you. But I am looking forward to uploading this video and moving on to the next one. Hope you all enjoyed the eclipse. If you did see it today, and again, share what you took and uh, photographed. And maybe I'll do a quick update next week as to what you all saw uh, out in the field as a once-in-a-lifetime event happened here for us in the United States. That's going to do it for this one. Please keep those questions and comments coming. I value every one of them and read every one of them, even if I can't respond to them all. I greatly appreciate everything you do to help me get better, and we're going to keep growing together. And this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by my Patreon supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Tangential Soup Podcast, and Chris Allegretta. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash Patreon to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.